You're listening to Innovation Fuel, a business podcast by University Canada West. Bringing you fantastic stories for accomplished entrepreneurs and key industry professionals. Let's explore the entrepreneurial world through local businesses and our university community. Hello, Gulari. How are you doing? I am. I'm fine. You know, it's. I, I will tell you that it's. Uh, I'm a little bit struggling with the, my shouting. Okay. Um, <laughs> what? I, I love leather. I like the text, and I love. I mean, I like the style. However, I was considering if it's really sustainable. I should go to vegan leader or. I have some beautiful leather boots, which is damaged. I buy another one. Is it really sustainable to buy another one? What the repair process is going to be? You know, for me, it's a shopping process. It's about having a letter. It's a lot of a challenging now, but, but I love leather. Well, and, you know, you bring up a, an interesting topic really quickly. And, I, and, and just to talk about this, because it is a big, interesting topic about sustainability. And there's different areas we can look at sustainability, but consumption and buying things over and over and over again versus can we get this repaired? Do we like this product? And is there an opportunity for us to repair it and sustain this for a longer period of time so we do not need to waste? I think we might have some people today, Galari, that might be able to give us some ideas to this. Yes, I think that we have. So let's welcome Tesco Bay and Aris Gruter, co-owner and co-founder of All Together Leather, to another episode of Innovation Fuel. Welcome, Dave. Welcome, Tess. And welcome, Aris. Yes, welcome to Innovation Fuel, brought to you by University Canada West. We are here. We are learning together. We're exploring, but we're exploring something very interesting today. Maybe the world of leather. Ooh, interesting. So we have two wonderful guests with us, the founders of All Together Leather, which is located here in Vancouver. If you have any leather repairs, these are the individuals that can help you with this element. So let's welcome Eris and Tess. And Tess and Eris, please tell us a little bit about yourselves. Who are you? What is All Together Leather? Thank you so much for having us on. Altogether Leather is a custom leatherwork interior repair shop in East Vancouver. We're a studio that fixes things and makes things in leather and heavy garments and textiles. We've been working uh, in the shoe repair industries and leather garment alteration repair industries for over 10 years combined, I think, at this yep. point. And, uh, and we really love what we do. That's really great. But what happens that you feel that you need to start your own business together? Well, the space that we were in previously wasn't big enough for us to feel like we could expand. And that was definitely one part of it. The other thing, of course, is just that we wanted to be able to expand our services. Um, the sustainability movement is one that we are near and dear to uh, and feel really passionately about. And so we were sort of looking at ways that we could work with that. We opened the studio in May of 2021 during the pandemic. I was operating a a sole proprietorship, which was very small before launching into this 1700 square foot studio, which now has about five employees. And part of the reason that we decided that we wanted to take the jump and become business owners was also to have more decisions over the changes we wanted to see in our industry and the services that we wanted to see offered to our immediate community in East Van, because there was also no one doing this in this exact location. One of the things that when I was reading your profile and the story behind your business model, you both were in this industry before. You were both working for a local booth manufacturer, I understand. And and you saw some really big challenges there in the way people have been treated. And and this was 
part of the inspiration of, of this organization, wasn't it? So tell us a little bit about that. What is the challenge that this was there before? And what are you guys working together to solve with this new opportunity? So I think in a lot of male-dominated industries, which sheer parent leather work is, people who are not cis guys or perhaps stand out in other ways face challenges in terms of being stereotyped or pigeonholed into very specific roles in these companies. So for us, we both experienced limitations in what we were being taught versus what we were seeing our peers being taught and how we were being promoted and the jobs that we were given and the challenges that we were able to expand into. And also having a lot more customer service put on our shoulders versus doing more of like hard manual labor, which is really interesting and like satisfying work. And so we wanted to take on more of those jobs. And we also wanted to see those positions being opened up to our staff in terms of making sure that knowledge is being passed on is an industry that faces a lack of people entering it. And part of that reason is because there is no skill transfer. Lack of people entering and then a lot of gatekeeping and it sort of strangles the ability to bring in new people. That is really interesting because you're saying that during the COVID and lockdown, you actually open your business, which most of the retails, they close their business. So what did you see? What kind of opportunity did you see in those time to open your business? So there were the COVID grants that the government was giving, which sort of the idea in our head. And we also saw about 12 shoe repair and leather workshops, or was it seven? It just doubled it. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, there was quite a few shops quite that, a few. that closed. And right as the pandemic hit, Eris's sole proprietorship got mm. substantially busier. Just, I don't know if it was the COVID relief checks or if people were in their closets cleaning them out more or global fears in general. But, you know, the business became very busy in that time. It became a combined effect of we saw a lot of machinery secondhand on markets mm. that we could swoop up on cheap prices. We saw an increase in people wanting to fix things in terms of sustainability, which does happen in recessions. And we just had the gusto to want to get out there. Oh, that's that's really interesting. That's really interesting. And that was that leads to another question about your sustainability. Letter is not really in line with the green movement and the sustainability movement, but you saw actually an opportunity for sustainable movement. So what did you see in that one? I think that leather itself is, while not often considered sustainable material, is actually a very sustainable material, especially when looking at the alternatives. So especially for existing leather goods, which is what we work with a lot of, that leather is already on the earth. It already is made into a product and that person is already enjoying using it. So for us, it's important from a sustainability perspective to keep it going. And then when it comes to fake leathers and pleathers, they are plastics uh, and their lifespan is very, very short, like under under 10 years for sure. And once they start to peel and break down, they immediately go into the landfill and there's absolutely nothing I can do to repair it. So this idea that it's, you know, vegan leather, there's nothing vegan about it. Oil-based. And I do think more people are realizing this. Not biodegradable in any way. You know, even mushroom leathers and apple leathers and pineapple leathers, none of these are biodegradable. So it's really great that they don't use meat, but they're on the earth forever, which we can say leather biodegrades. So. Leather lasts 100 years if you take proper care of it, which is enough to be passed down within generations, which you see a lot of. But then it does actually break down after that point and go back to Earth, which is why it's been around in human history for thousands and thousands of years. 
Oh, no, I, I, I'm really intrigued by this and the different uh, uh, different styles of leather. And wow, there's how many different categories of leather is there? <laughs> there's only one main category, which is leather. Of course, you can break it down by animal, or you could break it down by the tanning type, or, you know, all of these new vegan, I'm, my finger quotes, alternatives. They've got a whole variety of them now, but they aren't necessarily leathers in any capacity. They just look like leather. But. The very base definition of leather is an animal skin that has been chemically turned into textile that's not going to degrade for a long term. So anything that is not based in an animal byproduct is not leather. Oh, that's really interesting. What I see in your website, you're uh, trying to have a service for LGBTQIA plus community. And you're trying to differentiate yourself in this category. Uh, would you give us a little bit explanation? What do you mean to give a service to those people? What does it mean? So we're both queer owners and we faced a little bit of pushback in our industry because of this. And I think for a lot of queer people, it's just the knowledge that you can walk into spaces where you're not going to be judged or where your questions maybe be understood for people who are like transitioning, who might need different alterations on their clothing or stuff like that. I will say that we have taken a step back from branding ourselves as this because we've gotten a lot more online hate and the anti-queer rhetoric in Canada is getting really bad. Can you a little bit explain what type of hate messages you got? We, in the past, done like videos where they end up on YouTube because the company has posted on YouTube because we will post on YouTube. Obviously, that's a global market. And so a lot of people come in and have a whole bunch of opinions. Um, typically, the hate that we get is by saying that we are queer or by looking queer or being queer. <laughs> But especially if you mention, you know, hi, my name is Tess. I'm a queer cobbler. All of a sudden, the comments on that type of video are really focused on, you know, how dare you tell us that information? I don't care who you sleep with. All of this sort of stuff that isn't actually relevant to a queer identity from our perspective, but... Or to our work or to our skill level within yeah. our trade. It's not really relevant at all, but... Um... <laughs> Yeah. We mention it specifically because we want people to know that you can make spaces within these industries that do feel slightly safer. Yeah, and visibility is important. Yeah. You're also on a pathway to this. I, you know, you are trying to empower individuals that are coming into this space or trying to encourage more people into this space. And, you know, I hear that you're doing some workshops and employing people to sort of to trade the next generation. Talk to us about that. We think it's really important to bring new people into the industry. It's a very small industry in Vancouver specifically. And I mean, globally too, it's not, there's not that many people in it. And to keep this type of thing going, the knowledge has to be passed down. It's not something you can learn in a textbook or on a YouTube video. Are no longer schools for this trade. No longer places to learn it other than shops and from shop owners. And so a lot of shop owners won't train because they're single person operations who maybe don't have the time or the energy or the ability to say. Um, interpersonal skills. Yeah, the interpersonal skills, exactly. And so the fact that we have two people in our business, we can then afford to balance the business and also training. And that's something that we were, we baked into the plan. It was a priority for us. We also learn from our staff. We hire a lot of really creative people, people who've gone through fashion school or arts programs in different ways who end up working with leather because it's this really interesting interesting textile and their creativity, um, the way that they can help us figure things out is invaluable. Yeah. yeah. Things work better when you have a more diverse cast pooling their knowledge. Um, that is really interesting. I'm really sorry to hear about that. Uh, the challenges you face, that's what we don't want 
here, especially in Canada or Vancouver. This is this is really sad to hear it. But do government any kind of incentive offer to LGBTQIs uh, industry businesses or any kind of support? Mm, we've gotten grants in the past two years, but not that are LGBTQIA specific in any way. Yeah, I don't know of any. We've gotten. Part of our startup loan was uh, like a woman-specific program. And I myself am a non-binary person, so I just opted into that because why not? And there are quite a few programs related to like woman in trades and stuff like that. It gets a little hairy because shoe repair isn't a red seal trade and it isn't regulated in any capacity. And so when they say trades grants, 99% of the time don't qualify for a trade-related grant because we aren't considered a trade. So it's a lot of like small business grants. With this red seal element, can can you not push for a red seal element? Can you not reshape this practice into something? Or what is the obstacles, the barriers you face? Crossed our minds. It used to be a red seal trade, shoe repair, back when there were cobbling schools and it was much larger in industries. I think most of those programs, red seal programs, have training program where everyone is being taught the same level of, you know, to the same level of education and same level of skill. A, we don't have any cobbling education. So that's, I feel like something a bit of a barrier to implement potentially. But I mean, it's definitely something that is is on our mind. It's not, it's not out of the realm, but we had to get through the hurdles of, of opening the business first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're only two and a half years in. You were on a journey and a really neat journey. Like when you think about it, like, and even when you're saying the sustainability of this, if you know, like the awareness of like reusing these elements, like we need to be reusing more and more and not consuming so much. So the idea of it is fantastic. Like, and, and how do we not retool individuals to help support this movement. I think it's a, it's a no-brainer. I think it's a, a challenge that we should be taking on. And, uh, but one of the questions I have around the LGBTIQA plus community, is there any community of entrepreneurs that are coming together in this space? Like you, you talk about like, we, we, you know, you've got some funding from some women's groups, but is there any specific entrepreneurial groups that are that are there building that community? It's a little bit tricky. When I've looked at joining groups on like Facebook or et cetera, they... A lot of people just run very different businesses than ours as LGBTQ, etc. That is one part of our identity, but also the fact that we're a service business is is an aspect that isn't covered in a lot of these sort of like other business type groups, if that makes sense. And so it's difficult to connect on the business aspect, even if we connect on the personal aspect, which is... I know queer business owners across all different types of industries, and mm -hmm. we talk sometimes, mm -hmm. but like, I do think being a service that repairs things is a very unique business model that you need to talk to people within this type of industry like bike mechanics about the specific challenges that you face when you are repairing items for people. Can you give me a very memorable story of services you're offering to LGBTQAs? The queer community is probably maybe 10% of our clientele. We service all of Greater Vancouver, all different types of people. We see people across hundreds of different communities, be them bikers, vintage, you know, Gen Zs who want to remodel their jackets, people who are retiring who want to, you know, make sure their leather jackets are going to last them next 20 years. So it is actually like we are queer, but it is not the cornerstone of this business. And the services are ultimately the same. It's just mostly making an open and comfortable space for everyone is kind of our goal. And so that means that if someone comes in and, and they want their pants tailored a certain way, that person could be from any demographic or group, but just that we're open to doing it and that we're, you know, from a non-judgmental sort of standpoint and 
and happy to encourage whatever sort of fashion exploration people want to play with when it comes to that type of stuff too. Yeah, I, I love your inclusivity, like everywhere. I saw the the elements of even supporting the deaf, the blind elements, like everything, like you're, you're thinking about all areas in order to really enhance that value statement of that all together. And I love that element of all together. It's, uh, yeah, for me, I mean, I faced several judgment as an immigrant, as a woman immigrant with a color, I just can feel what you're saying. But to me, it's like, I mean, put yourself out there. It should be very, very hard. As you said that in the YouTube, what other steps you take still not going back, you know, it's not not holding yourself back, it just is still going. I mean, I think when businesses are making decisions on how to brand themselves and what to put out there and advertise, you have to consider what is safe for yourself and your staff. And so we have started branding more along the lines of like sustainability, really high repairs. The fact that you, when you walk into our store, we're going to go through every single step with you to make sure that what you're getting is exactly what you expect. So those are the types of things that we really are very proud of and we're proud to be queer too but we want to focus on our work okay i understand i stand so showing your value still is not easy for you no it's mm. always tricky that's that's sad to hear thank you for sharing one more questions i have it's about about your design how do you I mean do some creative work and process for example remodeling should be very creative right how do you make add creativity in your process for repair and remodeling it can be tricky sometimes because a client will come in and obviously it's their item and they own it and they're the ones who are going to keep wearing it. And so sometimes we'll put out a new lining in a jacket and we show them the whole color swatches and there's so many fabric colors and they'll still pick oh. black. <laughs> it's me. It's me. It's easy to it's easy to fit with other colors. That's the only reason. Not because I love them. <laughs> Exactly. And so we tend to find that we get to experience creativity in the ways that we repair and the methods and the styles, not always in the most obvious ways where creativity can kind of come into play. And creative problem solving is a big kind of part of that for us. You'll also find that a lot of our repairs and the work that we're doing for customers is guided by the customer. It's your choice and here to make that happen for you. But a lot of the things that we make for ourselves in our own private art practices, like Tess is a quilter and has started doing a lot of like leather quilted bags that you'll see in our display for sale. And so a lot of our retail items actually reflect more of our internal creative selves rather than our repair process. So you also sell products? Yes. Oh, can you a little bit explain that? So we have on our website, we carry, and in a store, we carry sort of the most regular kind of shoe repair products. We carry our most basic, simple sort of makes, our belts, our wallets, you know, some of the keychains and some of the really like popular items. And then in store, we have those same items. And we also have some additional things that we don't necessarily put on the website, but that are one-off creations. We don't also have two Etsy stores, which sell globally. A lot of shoe repair shop products and a lot of our standard items that we make. And we find that these online portals and e-commerce, it does help our bottom line. And it also helps people just learn about us. It's a good way to advertise for us. And it's very hard for new shoemakers to find materials. Again, it's a bit of a gatekeeping type history. Mm -hmm. And our wholesale and our suppliers tend to only sell to businesses. And so the fact that we can offer souls on Etsy, for example, or on our website means, that, again, it's another way for us to empower other shoemakers and makers to, to get 
access to materials that they wouldn't normally have access to easily. I have one more question, if you don't mind. So, uh, for example, if I want to repair a jacket, I have to come to your shop or do you have online services for me as well? We do mail-ins as well. So if you were not in Vancouver or had a hard time accessing us, you could send us an email with a whole bunch of photos and we would quote you online. You mail it into us, you pay for the repair, we will mail it back to you after it's done. Um, we've also done some virtual fittings occasionally with people. It really depends. That's great. What new things are you looking towards the future? As you move to the future, is there any new types of technologies that can support you? What are you looking for the future? Where do you see all together leather going? Where do you want to be? So shoe repair is one of these unique industries where it's both stuck in the old world technology, but also needs upgrading. And so one of the ways that we've already done that is through all of these online social media advertising and email and um, having an automated pickup system for our clients so they get emailed the moment their projects are done. And I think where we're going is helping train more people in this industry, streamlining our own business to make sure that we're doing really good repairs here. And making sure that it's sustainable for Aris and I as far as burnout goes, um, having had enough space to recoup and rest as business owners as well. Yeah. And also maybe doing more like educational videos on pariculture and, you know, how to buy the correct items, correct style of boot that's not going to fall apart on you in six weeks and all of those kind of things you'll see launching on our social media brands. Love to do more workshops too, but COVID obviously has, we're very, we're masked in studio with customers all the time. And so it's just something we're very aware of when it comes to precautions. So eventually. What a great story. Uh, amazing. And, and what a great business model. And I just see so many potentials for it in so many different ways to modernize something that has been in the old ages. There's so many potential there, but to bring new people into a new trade and, and give them opportunities. Wow. It's exciting. Very exciting. Before we wrap up today's show, we need to throw out a challenge, a challenge that, that maybe it's a macro challenge, maybe it's a bigger picture challenge, or maybe it's a challenge that all together leather is facing. How can we help? I would love to know from listeners like what their most prized possessions are. If those possessions were to break, do you know where you could go to get it repaired? That shop doesn't exist. What would it take for you to open it? What would it take to bring more repair culture into our world? That was great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having us. We're Eris and Tess from All Together Leather, which is A-W-L Together Leather. You can find us on all social media platforms. Thanks again. Thank you, Tess. Thank you, Aris. Thank you, Dave. That was another episode of Innovation Fuel. Thank you for listening to Innovation Fuel. We are on all podcast streaming platforms, Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Visit our website at www.youcanwest.ca slash innovationfuel. Also, follow us on Instagram at innovation underscore fuel.